Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 317 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 21st, 2014. Happy Patriots Day to everyone. I want to give a little shout out to my mom who's back at the Boston Marathon working uh, the finish line, giving medical treatment to all the runners. I really pray that she never has to deal with anything like they dealt with last year, but I just want to give her a little shout out because I know she's really proud of her and what she's been doing over there. But it's Patriots Day, Boston Marathon Day. Uh, spring football's over. Lots to get to on this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us at 206-888-6755, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and you can take care of any questions right there on our webpage. We've got Dan Weber coming up later on. We've got Hart, Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment. A lot to get to, a lot of questions because of USC finishing up spring football. So let's welcome in the coach, Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, it's great, buddy. Uh, I know if uh, I just want to say Happy Easter. I said it last week, but a lot of people maybe didn't listen to the segment. But uh, it was a beautiful weekend here in Southern California. And if you're with your family and friends, uh, we certainly hope you had a great weekend. And a lot of us were over at the uh, Coliseum for the spring uh, showcase. And uh, also, uh, I want to congratulate all the people that came out there. Ryan, I think that's the biggest crowd. I've seen, I might be wrong, at a USC spring game. I agree with you. It's the biggest one I've seen there, and a lot of people came out. The game was different. We're going to get to that in a second, Coach. Uh, and we'll get. But I wanted to, before we jump into all that, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Uh, SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. Got the Kings, got the, the Ducks, got baseball, lots going on. The Clippers. Didn't start off real well in their playoff series, but a lot of that stuff here in Southern California and across the nation, go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up. And, uh, Coach, there was a lot of mixed feelings about the uh, USC spring game, but I agree with you. It was a huge crowd. I thought it was the biggest that I saw. They announced 17,500. I thought it was well over 20, uh, but we shall see. But there are some people that really did enjoy it, and I wanted to give you Chris's take on this first and then kind of get your thoughts on, on what you felt was going on in the spring game. But he, uh, he wrote in, he said, I just want to say I really enjoyed watching the spring game this year. The tackling drill to start things off really set the stage for an exciting afternoon. I enjoyed hearing Coach Sarkeesian mic'd up, uh, rushing the plays to, to hurry up mode, as well as the interviews before and during the scrimmage uh, made it really fun. However, the best part was seeing my five-year-old daughter become captivated by flying shirts every few minutes, cheerleaders, and cheering more for the men in the bubbles racing than the game. I felt that it was more of a family-friendly spring game than I've ever been to, although it was less competitive. I don't know if there's anything I would change. That's from Chris, Coach. I want to get your thoughts on the spring game. Well, I've got to respect Chris's uh, feelings. Uh, everyone has a purpose uh, of going to a spring game and uh, watching uh, their 2014 edition of USC Trojan football. Everyone goes for a different reason. Uh, you know, and I'm just giving you my point of it as far as a coach. I don't go there uh, to make it a uh, showcase or a promotion or a race of uh, those balloons and balls <laughs> that people run up and down the field with and and stopping the practice and having contests, punt catch contests, and students throwing the football in the, in the scrimmage. Hey, I'm there to get better. Uh, that's a, To me, I thought... You waste half your day. You're only given so many days. Now, I, I, I'll tell you, it was a, a lot of fun for families and friends, but it'll be a lot of fun, uh, or you'll have a better time in the in the fall if your team wins. And you, I don't think you're going to really waste time on that. Now, this is the new, I want you to know, this is the new marketing things that are going on. These guys have all gone to the same uh, seminar, Okay where they think uh, all these new hires or whatever's going on, that, that you got to market your program, throw T-shirts into the crowd, uh, do all the things you got to do. But uh, watch that and then watch a Southeastern Conference game, okay? 
or a spring game. And I don't know how many people out there watch the Auburn or Alabama spring game, but it's all business. I mean, this is a day of business. It's a business day. It's not a, a day where you sit back and, uh, and have barbecues on the field. Next thing we'll be having barbecues out there. I mean, I think it's a work day. And I think it's a fun day for kids. I think kids are part of all fans. But I think you either do it before or after, not during. And uh, I think the promotion aspect of it, you don't have to promote if you win. If you win and you put good product on the field, hey, people are going to come. People are going to want to buy a ticket. People aren't going to want to buy a ticket to come out and have fun. Uh, people want to buy a ticket to come to watch the Trojans win and go to the national championship game or the Pac-12 championship game or the Rose Bowl game. That's what sells tickets. But this is the new philosophy out there. And uh, it's fun and games. And uh, I don't think it was uh, what I would do. And this is, of course, my opinion. I mean, I'd have to have an argument with whoever's in charge of promoting like that. <laughs> as a football coach, and say, hey, this is a work day for me. Uh, if you want to throw T-shirts out and stuff, do it afterwards or before or whatever, but i got to keep my team going. And it slowed down what I thought, the hurry-up type of offense, the hurry-up type of football philosophy that I have. I mean, uh, there was rest periods during the scrimmage. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with this gentleman who wrote in that he had a lot of fun. Uh, I think that the kids had a lot of fun in trying to catch T-shirts and stuff. But I don't think that's what a spring game is. A spring game means game, not showcase. And if you look everywhere, they're calling them showcases now. And I, whenever anybody wants to compare what we saw Saturday and what they're doing in the Southeastern Conference or some of these other conferences on how serious they even had instant replay in the Auburn spring game. A full set of officials, just like, yes, he had. But instant replay on plays. That's how important it is to these people. It's a game. You got halftime. You do what you have to do to get better, so when you open in the fall, you're already a football team. Now, that's the philosophy I have. And, uh, and uh, not that people didn't have fun, but I thought it became boring. Because I was there for the football portion of it. I wasn't there. I'll buy a t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> or, or my kids, if they need two shirts, we'll buy them a t-shirt. We're there. And I look at it as a day to get better. And I didn't want to ramble on too much about that, but I wanted to make that point. No coach. And I, I agree. And I think Chris, uh, no offense to Chris, but I think he was in the minority. We have some other questions coming up later on the show. I know there's one for, for Dan about, I mean, one of the, the, the guests left, he didn't, he just didn't enjoy it at all. And, and, Wanted to see more football stuff, and I did think the the Oklahoma drill. I think it was early on. I thought thought that was competitive, but there was a lot of breaks in the action. And in in their defense, coach, I mean, there wasn't a lot of depth. There was a lot of guys hurt. They didn't want to uh, get more guys hurt. So, can you see from the coach's point of view that maybe they just want to kind of shut it down a little early and say we're not going to have a really competitive spring game? because of the injury situation or things like that? Or do you feel that's the, what, what he ended up doing there? Well, I don't know if that's what he did there. I don't know if he had much to say about that. I think that was just part of the marketing and showcase, but I'd have argued against it. I'd have said, hey, we'll go 50 plays then, but we'll go all out. Whenever you play a game or whatever you do, you go all out. You can't go half speed. You can't pretend you're tackling. You can't pretend you're blocking. You've got to do it full speed no matter what you do, pass rush, the whole thing. Now, of course, you're not going to hit the quarterback. I'm not saying that. But you've got to have the real picture so you can teach off of it. You've got all these videos. You want to be able to teach off of something. The, the Oklahoma drill, which they started with, you can get more people hurting that or as many people hurting that as you can in a scrimmage play. So, you know, I don't think you should warm up that way. That's what they wanted to do. So I don't. I'm not going to criticize that. I'd rather have had a complete game, come out in the field like a game, warm up like a game, go back in, come back out, play the game, even have a halftime, you know, not as long as a 20-minute halftime, but go in and know what you're going to do at halftime, who sits where, what the coach's procedures are, uh, then come back out, give the guys an opportunity to go to the bathroom, whatever you need to do, come back on the field and start playing again. Even if it was just 25 plays a half, 
but play full speed at what you do. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't do surgery at half speed. <laughs> you know, you got to do what you do at the best, toughest intensity level, which makes you a better player. Special teams, very few special teams. Uh, placement of the ball, always in the advantage of the offense. Uh, you've got to make it where, as the game goes, the conditions change. And you've got to, as a football team, be able to, hey, if you're on the five-yard line, you're on the five-yard line coming out because the defense did a great job. I'm not saying tackle on kickoffs, but have that in and have that part of your game so you can teach off of it. You've got to have teaching material to teach your young players or players whether they're in their lanes or out of their lanes or whatever they have to do. And that's just my idea now. That's just my thought. So, of course, there's different philosophies, but that's my thought. All right, Coach. Uh, let's get to some of the questions we had. Uh, Melvin had a question. You got to watch spring football this, uh, you know, this season. Do you think the team speed, the overall team speed, has improved from last year? And he says, I asked this because I thought we looked very slow in the USC versus UCLA, UCLA game last year. What do you think, Coach? Well, I don't know if you looked uh, very slow. You know, Aguilar didn't play the entire game, and he's as good a football receiver as there is in the country, if he's not the best. You know how I feel about that. Uh, I don't think you saw a lot. What I mean, maybe by design. Maybe Coach Sarkeesian did not want to do a lot. But uh, team speed-wise, you didn't have a chance really to see just what they had, I mean, I mean, I, I running game uh, zero, I thought, uh, which made the play action pass not worth anything. Uh, they threw the ball down the field a lot. The first three plays of the scrimmage, I said, oh no, <laughs> here we go, three straight passes. I said, here we go again, and and then you know you got a running play in there. Uh, very difficult to tell, and uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I really haven't thought of it. Uh, as that, it, so I, mean, I don't it, really want to, you know, answer it as that. Well, it's hard, coach, because, because I, so many guys were out. They're, I mean, you're talking about, you know, three or four of your best players on defense were out. I mean, I think it's hard to judge what overall team speed was kind of looking like this spring, just because there's not a lot of guys that were were playing. You know, I mean, I, I think it's going to look a lot different in the fall. I don't know if it's fair to say that the team looks slow. I, I don't know if it was because players were slow. Or they were playing slow. Uh, you know, it, the UCLA game looked a lot more like the early games of the season, where the defense was kind of trying to figure out what to do, as opposed to going and attacking. For whatever reason, it just didn't seem like the same sort of defense there. But I think a lot of it had to do with philosophies and and playing faster, which I think they did throughout that run where they went six and one in the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 with with Ed Orgeron at the helm, and and I thought they looked pretty fast against Fresno State. But I think it's hard to judge team speed with so many players being injured, at least in my opinion, Coach. Oh, I, I agree with you. And they were so vanilla on defense. What I mean, they stopped them. Uh, you know, they couldn't score a touchdown the entire scrimmage. But, I mean, they, they stay basic most of the time. I mean, they weren't doing anything fancy or trying to blitz. When they did, they didn't have a, you know, they, they got to the quarterback or threw him for a loss every time. But uh, uh, I just think that uh, it's hard. I'm not going to say about the team speed because they have – tremendous athletes as far as the injury factor i do want to comment on that uh, i cannot believe you have 20 players out i mean in the old days we had 20 days of spring practice and i sat next to john robinson and john robinson and i were sitting next to coach robinson and i was sitting next to each other watching the scrimmage and in the old days we had 20 days to spring practice and we hit every single day full pads the entire practice and maybe we had one or two guys that were injured. Today, you're in shorts and shoulder pads and helmets and whatever. And you got 20 guys out. You got 20 trainers. Uh, you got all these guys. I think you might be overprotective. Not that I don't care about kids. I love kids. But to have 20 guys hurt, are you kidding me? I mean, there's got to. I, I would examine what I'm doing off season. I would examine what I'm doing. I mean, how can you have that many kids hurt? Now, I don't know how many kids other universities have hurt, 
But 20? Please. I mean, you've got to get ready for the coming football season. And then these guys, have, you know, and I'm not saying play them if they're hurt. Don't get me wrong, if, they're, if the doctor doesn't release them. But I'm thinking, uh, wow, what is going on? You know, I, I, some of the guys we talked to, Coach, I think it was 23 was the number that we were told, at least they were out, and then a couple of guys injured ankles uh, in the spring game, nothing serious. I mean, the good thing is there wasn't really any serious injuries throughout the spring, but a bunch of the guys, I believe, you know, Leonard Williams is one of them, saying that yeah, I'm at 80% now. If today was an actual game, he would play. Um, so I guess that's good. I mean, some of it's precautionary and, and maybe because of the sanctions and, you know, wanting to keep guys healthy for the fall and not really, you know, worrying as much now about spring football. I think that's part of it, Coach, but I agree. I mean, if, if, if guys could have been playing and they weren't, it's kind of a fine line there. Do you want them to play and risk further injury, or would you rather uh, sit them out and, and let them try to get better in the fall? Well, if they can't play, they can't play. Don't get me wrong, but you got to get better, too. Now, if I was uh, rehabbing and I was 18 years old, I wouldn't want to go through spring practice. I've been through spring practice at the University of Arizona. Man, I couldn't even walk every day. I was so sore. But you didn't go in and say, I'm sore. Because if you did that, they would tell you, get in the whirlpool. Get in the whirlpool. Or put some, put some hot stuff on it or whatever. Uh, you know, I think there's a fine line of of where you are and what you have to do. And I'm not saying USC isn't doing what they have to do. Believe me, I'd rather have the kids in the fall too. But you got to be able to practice. you got to be able to become a better football team. And I'm concerned about some of the players not being able to play if they play at this fast pace. You take the offensive linemen, Walker, Simmons, you take all these guys. I mean, how are they going to get conditioned back up to play at that pace? including Leonard Williams. I mean, you've got to stay in shape. They practice this every, every time after I was repeating plays. Hey, it is hard to get into that type of condition. It is not easy to play at that pass uh, pace. So I'm concerned about that. And, uh, you know, I, you know I, I don't know how to explain it to you, but I think that I felt like that other guy. I was disappointed in the spring game. I was disappointed what I saw on the field, too. Oh, you weren't alone, Coach. And there, there was a lot of people that did that. But it was a big crowd. I mean, it was uh, it was nice to see people come out and support. We'll see what happens this fall. Uh, but very interesting way to kind of end spring football with a close practice and then uh, with the, that spring game there, whatever that was. the, the produ- <laughs> A lot of production value, a lot of interesting things going on, but not as much football as some of us would have liked to see. Um, no, I think they got. I really think they got too much marketing involved in their football program currently right now. Uh, listening to people telling we got to do this, we got to do that for our fans and so on, rather than just making it football. You see ninety thousand people down at Alabama or eighty thousand at Auburn, and what are they there for? Football. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. There's a lot of other things to do, but there's a lot of things and excitement in Southern California too. Let me tell you. USC football fans are hardcore football fans. That's why they listen to this podcast, and that's why they go to the spring game. 20,000 is a great, if it is 20,000, is a great crowd for USC spring game. They're there to watch football. They're not coming there to do anything else, and you can't tell these people what they want to see. They, they know what they're seeing. So, you know, you can't come out and say, well, this happened and that happened, which was all positive. These people know football. So you can't, you can't tell them something was good when it was average or it wasn't working up to the expectability of what's happening at teams that are now winning the national championship or playing in Rose Bowl games. All right, Coach. Well, let's go on to a voicemail question. This you one's probably about, want to get me off the air. No. we. No, uh, hey, you're not. You're, you're speaking the truth, Coach. We all know it. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Let's go to the oh, this voicemail question here. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. My name is Rudy. Uh, I just watched the video on the receivers catching balls, and I noticed a significant difference in uh, George Farmer. Um. I was just wondering, I guess my question is, does anybody else see it? 
or is it just me? Um, I don't think he looks the same after his um, his tears as he did in high school. Um, just wondering, does anybody else see that, or is it just me? Thanks. Bye -bye. You know, George Farmer is a tremendous athlete. He was probably the number one receiver coming out his high school senior year, and uh, I think he's a, a. I think he had a great spring. As far as him now running at the same that he ran before, I think that's going to take time. Uh, he's bigger for one reason. He certainly is stronger. Uh, every time he catches the football and runs with the football, he gains confidence. You want him to catch a lot of footballs. So I'm going to tell you, you want him to catch a lot of footballs. But the more he gets hit, the more he catches footballs, he gains back the confidence of his ability that he has had, you know, in high school or any other level. Remember, when you've been hurt twice, you you still got that in your head. Don't get me wrong. You got that in your head. Oh, I got to protect my knee. I can't let him hit my knee. But after you get hit a couple times in the knee and you make a big play here and there, all of a sudden, hey, I'm okay. That didn't bother me. George Farmer is a great athlete. He's going to play football. And he'll play in the next level, too, as long as he doesn't get hurt again. And I hope that never happens again. Uh, I like him. I think he can play. I think he'll get better. And... uh I think he's going to – I just like him. I, this spring, I like him. Last spring, he had a great spring before he got hurt. He's he's a great athlete. He's gone through a lot to put himself back in this position, and I hope everything works out for him, Ryan. I do, and I think you know he's not back 100% yet, but he was out there able to practice in the spring, which I think is a good thing. Uh, we know Stephen Mitchell hasn't been able to do that. So we'll see both those guys in the fall. So I wouldn't judge what you've seen from him in practice. He, I know he's still – trying to get his strength back. He's, he's not 100%, but they needed some receivers, and he, you know, he wanted to get out there and, and help. So you know, that's what he was doing. And uh, you know, I, 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 you know, hats off to him. I think he's a great athlete, like you said, Coach. So we'll see what, what goes on from there. Um, we had a few kind of non-spring questions, Coach, that I wanted to get to. Uh, they're just kind of about college football and, and stuff in general, USC in general. Um, Jeff Kay in Altadena said – as far as uniforms go, he says he looks at it like Nike is enhancing some features on some of the traditional powers of uniforms like Miami, Florida State, etc. Do you see any subtle enhancements coming USC's way that would honor tradition but modernize some of the components? I think Sark values tradition, but he also embraces change. That's from Jeff on uniforms. Well, Jeff, I hope not. Uh, you see a lot of these changes going on when I turn on a television to watch a game. I don't even know who's playing, okay? <laughs> To be honest, we didn't tell the announcer. I keep telling me, hey, tell me who's playing or show me the scoreboard. And then I look down there and try to figure out which team is which. What bothers me the most, and, you know, I might be wrong. I don't know how the rest of you Trojan fans feel, but when I see the Trojans in black uniforms, I say, and I, you know, I say, why? What's wrong with Cardinal and Go? What's wrong with that? Why do we have black uniforms for? I mean, the Cardinal of Gold is, is what it's all about. And the pride in it, you need to change. I think other schools are trying to change to get popularity so people know who they are. So we'll talk about them. When Steve Sarkeesian was hired at uh, USC, uh, I had him on our Trojan Brunch show. Or not I, we did. And the first thing I asked him was uniforms. Right off the bat, I said, uh, Coach, uh, how about uniforms? Because I know at Washington he had made some changes. I said, are you thinking about changing the tradition of the Trojan uniform? And he thought about it for a minute. He says, I see nothing wrong with it. I think it's great the way they are. Well, I said, you know, they've made some changes in their shoes and socks and things like that. He says, yeah. I said, well, I hope you stick with the tradition of USC. You see, you see Alabama wearing different uniforms? You see Auburn wearing different uniforms? Tennessee wearing different uniforms? I mean, please. Uh, if you're good, you don't need to change your uniforms. People know who you are. And I think that's one thing I hope now. A lot of people might think out there, oh, he's nuts. Kids like to have gold helmets. Well, then take one home and spray it. <laughs> wear it around your yard. But if you're going to be a Trojan, you're going to wear what we wear. 
And that's my, the way I had it at uh, wherever I've coached. I never had the names in the back of our jerseys whenever I coached. I said, if you play well enough, the announcer will mention your name. No one has to you know, read the who you are. They'll recognize your number by the way you play. And that's my philosophy. And maybe it's old time, but I don't think you need those things. All right. Uh, thanks for that. We know your views on uniforms. So I wanted to get your comments on that. And uh, thanks for the question. Let's see. We got one. He's, I just wanted to uh, quickly comment on the NCAA finally getting something right by opening the training table, not only for unlimited meals to scholarship players, but also to walk-on players. How do you foresee this change affecting the team? And congratulations to all the people that have fought for this hard-won victory. Thanks for the podcast. Keep up the good work and fight on. That's from... Top Trojan fan, SSG Polk, U.S. Army. Well, thank you very much for checking in. In the Army, they feed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> whether they're on scholarship or walk-on. And uh, they must have had the NCAA, some of these college presidents or NCAA administrators must have a couple of their kids that are walk-on athletes somewhere where they've decided, hey, my kid needs to eat too. So all of a sudden they've come up and they've decided to pass this. I think it's tremendous. Kids willing to come out and give his time for free and he can't eat a training table with the rest of the players. Are you kidding me? And it's supposed to be a team. Have you ever been to the training table and see how much food is not eaten? They'd rather throw it away than let these kids eat there. Finally, they have broken through a barrier that, I don't want to say it was been taken care of by the team itself. The players that are on scholarship or people don't allow kids to go hungry. Are you kidding me? You find a way for these kids to eat. Now, legally, these kids can go into training tables, sit with their teammates, and have a meal. Why not? Because you don't have a player on your team unless he's contributing. I don't care what level he is, as far as a walk-on or full scholarship. We all wear the, wear the same colors. We all get on the same bus. We all get taped our ankles. We all uh, go to the same movie. We all win and we all lose. We all cry and we all pray together and we all celebrate together. And it, they finally get it. It's absolutely amazing. They finally get it, how long it takes for educated individuals to finally get it that why not, why not take care of these kids that are willing to go out there and, and fight on for their team? Why not? Well, we'll see how it affects USC. I think it's going to be a very positive thing, Coach, going forward. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, too, with uh, Dan Weber in the next segment. We're going to – another question on that. It was a big thing this week. And then, Coach, one last uh, question, comment. That's, oh, uh, wait a minute, Ryan. I could go all day today. Oh, you want? I'm in that mood. I could go all, all day today. All right. Well, we'll do this last question, and then if, you, <laughs> if there's more you want to talk about, we can. No, um, no, no. I'm just kidding. You. This is kind of interesting. Lamar from Lancaster. Uh, he says, uh, "I believe that some sort of player compensation may come." He's talking about the, the unionization, all that stuff. But I don't support some of these theories that are in the media. Unions, agents, and the likes of third-party involvement would be the demise to college sports. The athletic department would probably be forced to cut a lot of the lesser sports in both genders in both genders excuse me he said we should offer kids two choices a traditional plan as we have it today with an educational package or a percentage of the total amount of the cost of that particular school's enrollment without education to be given to the player after they complete their playing time for that school compensated compensated players should not be allowed to take part in on campus activities on college campuses other than the athletic department activities. Those players should be classified as first, second, third, or fourth-year players without the ability to redshirt. That was an interesting proposal. What do you think about what Lamar is talking about? You know, you, you have some points, and everybody's uh, talking about the different types of scholarship situations that should be on uh, college campuses. First of all, this is going to separate the Division One programs. I just want to go there and say it right off the bat. There's going to be a super conference and there's going to be the other Division One pro- programs, whatever you want to call it, because people can't afford what now is coming about in college athletics. You just can't. Some of the lower division programs that are Division One are suffering now and losing millions of dollars every year. 
the big money profits that are coming in are coming into the major conferences for television. So uh, this is going to split that. So it's going to be two different types of scholarships, just like they have now between Division Two, Division One, Double A, Division One, Three, all of NAIA. Eventually, this is going to change. Now, yes, I do think there needs to be change in the scholarship situations. I think that that first of all, I think that scholarships should not be year to year. They should be a four-year scholarship. Now, people say, "Oh, yeah, they're they're all four-year scholarships." No, they're not. The year to year, but I've never. You can't cancel someone's scholarship. I, I never canceled anybody's scholarship, but it's still year to year. So that gives a person a feeling that if he goes to the university, I think the only university I know that gets a four-year scholarship is Northwestern. At least that's what I've heard. So you've got to improve that. I think you've got to be able to also uh, acknowledge that uh, a scholarship is worth $60,000 a year at USC. And I think you should acknowledge, too, that they're getting that tax-free, as they are most universities. And they, they, they don't have to come up with any money for food or any other thing that goes along with it, while other students do or parents do. I think they should be able to have a social allotment of money uh, from the university and the athletic department to live like a human being and be able to date sociably and not take money illegally from people because they can't survive. And they should evaluate situations where kids are from, uh, the, where they can assist certain parents and, and families that need to have subsidized uh, income uh, from that uh, individual's effort. Now, all that is has to be repaid. All of that has to be repaid at some time because I believe college athletics is what it's all about. College athletics is not, and you cannot allow it to turn into professional athletics. Cannot You are there, whether you believe it or not, kids learn. Even if they're there two years, they're in an atmosphere on a college campus, seeing exactly what's going on, traveling around the country, being with a lot of people, meeting friends that are lifelong friends that are educational things. You don't have to be a doctor and a lawyer to get an education today. You have to be on a college campus to see how it works. So I, I think there's ways of, of uh, meeting in a half uh, a point where at the NCAA and, and uh, these young kids, as far as being able to give them what they deserve, but I think there's a lot of universities, most of the universities are going to now separate uh, you go to you. Most of these bowl games, they just added their 40th bowl game uh, in Orlando. You know, schools. That means 80 schools are going to Division One bowl games. There's only hell. There's only another what 60, 45, or I don't know. There's 128 to play. Do the math. That aren't going to bowl games. Yet these bottom bowl games, these teams that go to those bowl games, these bowl games don't pay enough where it costs these schools $500,000, $300,000 to go to them. So they're going to stop going to them, but they can't pay what they have to pay. They don't get the revenues. And I know this for a fact. But the bowl games are owned by networks, and the networks are making money, and that's why they continually have bowl games. It's programming. It's called programming. So... Uh, I think kids deserve more than what they're getting. What they deserve, I don't know. But as far as making it a, a semi, uh, what do you call it, uh, semi, professional, paid, <laughs> yeah, semi professional. Yeah, you can't do that. You, you gotta, you know, and it should be a college type of sport. And I also believe this. I believe if college athletes leave early. They ought to pay back the money they owe the university. Now, a lot of parents out there, are you kidding me? Yeah, I think that if they're willing to give you a loyalty and give you a four-year scholarship, you ought to be able to say, I'll be here for four years, not till whenever I feel like I can get out of here. Now, uh, you know, so I'm old school a little bit. I know uh, a lot of people agree or disagree with what I say, but I think a college education is more than playing football. It's common sense you learn as far as being on a college campus and how it's done. And you have to compete the rest of your life uh, after the game of football is done. It's game day every day for us. People that are listening, it's game day for you every day, Ryan. 
not once a week. And people have to learn to do that. All right, Coach, great stuff. Lots of uh, opinions out there, lots of information about USC spring football, so we appreciate that, and we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks, buddy. Have a great one, okay? And thank you, everyone, for being a part of our podcast. All right, thank you, and uh, everyone else back in uh, 30 seconds talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, back on the Peristyle Podcast, we have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber coming on the show. We're going to talk about the USC spring game and all of spring football. Got a lot of questions to get to. Hey, Dan, what's going on? How are you? Hey, pretty good, Ryan. Uh, although, as I prefer to call it, practice 15. <laughs> Not sure spring game is exactly the correct terminology, uh, 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 game it was it was really not so uh, but practice 15 uh, uh, and probably of the 15 practices it might have been the least uh, the least demanding and the least uh, it certainly was the slowest paced of all the practices so it really wasn't uh, very representative of, of, of what happened this spring and uh, you know uh, kind of a shame in a way that, uh, you know, fans, that's what they, uh, you know, the majority of fans who got to see the team in the spring, that's what they got to see. But, uh, you know, it might be uh, setting them up for a nice surprise uh, come August 30th. Well, you uh, you mentioned it wasn't the, the most entertaining one, and we have a, a question here from our, our friend Alan Fresno. He, he didn't really like what he saw, so let me play it for you. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Alan from Fresno. I saw you on the field uh, at the spring game yesterday. Um, I brought the family, uh, the kids, and didn't know what the heck we actually saw there. I, I thought maybe we took the wrong turn and, turn and ended up at Universal Studios. Uh, that was the worst spring game I've ever seen. Um, we left, and I've never left a spring game without getting signatures. But um, I just wanted to ask, get your attention, but couldn't. I just wanted to ask you what the heck was going on. Yeah, um, I guess uh, <laughs> if you had to say what was going on, I would guess that the decision was made clearly that they would much rather you be happy with what you see August 30th uh, against Fresno State than what you saw Saturday. Now, does that make it any easier if you've driven down with your family from Fresno uh, to see what wasn't even probably a good practice? Uh no, I could understand that. Uh, was it the best decision going forward? I think it was a decision they made that they'd gotten plenty done in the first 13 practices. Uh, 14th practice was to set up, which uh, to set up the rest of the summer, and how they're going to practice uh, in the uh, players-only sessions, and that maybe should have been the tip-off to us that Saturday wasn't going to be uh, the kind of uh, either game or show of what this team you know can do or who it is uh when you look at the fact that ty isaac hadn't actually practiced for three weeks and he's the guy carrying the ball most of the time out there um that they made a decision they weren't going to risk nelson aguilar they weren't going to risk buck allen they weren't going to risk trey madden heck they uh you know um uh cody kessler got to throw a few but uh not really a a big deal. I, I, I don't think there was any way to um, uh, to say, okay, what I saw translates this way, other than for the defense. I do think they rewarded the defense for such a the kind of uh, spring that they've had. They let them go all out. They didn't tackle all that much, but they let them really go. And it was kind of a reward for the defense, I think. And uh, they got a chance to, you know, really uh, – 
you know, stick at offense that, that wasn't all together, to be obvious. It was just clearly, uh, you know, those were not personnel groupings that we'd seen much of or at all in the spring. So the offense didn't have a, have a great chance, and, um, and the defense uh, took advantage of that, which I think they're going to be able to do, you know, during the year. So, you know, there's some people like, uh, you know, one to nothing baseball games and think, boy, that's, you know, that's as good a baseball, as good as baseball gets. But, but in football, it's hard to sell uh, an offense that didn't look that up-tempo and didn't look that together, and it, nor should it have been. I mean, it, it, there was no way that that offense with those personnel groupings, were, were, you know, we're going to be able to get the job done. And, uh, and it's too bad, but maybe uh, they'll make up for it uh, come August 30th. And, Al, you'll be, uh, you'll be real happy whether you're in Fresno or watching the game uh, at the Coliseum. All right. So, Al, we do apologize for that. We didn't have any control of it, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. I hope your family at least had a good time in Los Angeles while they were down here. Um, Dan, let's go to Nolan. He had a question. He said, I've noticed, and probably others have too, that the end zones weren't fully colored last year and the spring game. I was wondering why they haven't been doing that and if they'll bring it back because I think it looks a lot nicer. Fight on. Thanks and fight on from Nolan. I think uh, there were a couple of things. I think they – in the old regime, when you know the Coliseum people were were uh, in charge, I think they were having trouble getting the colors right, and uh, and and it does it does leave a slick coating that you know could come off on the players uh, and and come you know can come off on their shoes a little bit, and there is a there is a sense that uh, uh, you know that, that it might impact the game or you know a little bit. I don't know. I tell you what, the grass is so good right now, it doesn't bother me, uh, just showing the grass. I mean, honestly, we were standing in the end zone, and it, it looks too perfect to be actual grass. I mean, it's, it's so much better than uh, at any time from, you know, checking with people. I think it's, you know, better than any time ever in the history of the Coliseum. So uh, if I were them, I think I might just feature the grass because the grass really looks good. The grass does look good, Dan, and I think we uh, there were some actual comments about that um, as far as you know what they were doing there. I, I don't, I mean, I know fans got to come down there and check it out, but Marcel, I don't know if Marcel was there, but he had a question on that. He said, "Now that Notre Dame's getting rid of its grass, uh, what is USC going to do to make its field a top natural, the top natural grass field in the nation? This is Southern California. We don't have bad weather, and the field should be in optimum condition." You know, I think it is. I mean, it's stunning. Sark, uh, a couple of weeks ago when they did their other, uh, uh, you know, Saturday at the Coliseum, couldn't believe it. It said he'd never seen it look like that, and he hasn't. Nobody has. Uh, it's as good as, uh, I mean, I've been, you know, an awful lot of, you know, good, you know, good turfs and good stadiums and places like, you know, Florida and Florida State and Georgia and some of those, uh, some of those schools, and uh, no place is any better than uh, than what the Coliseum has right now. What a difference! That, you know, again, uh, with USC in charge. I mean, if you look at the campus, and then you just trans, you know, translate that across the street, and uh, it was obvious that it could have been that way. It's just the people, you know, taking, you know, running the Coliseum didn't care, and now they do. And uh, what a difference it makes! It's just—it's uh, spectacularly good. It, it'll be the best turf they play on all year. Okay, let's see. Yeah, but we're just looking at the grass, and it—it it certainly you could tell. So I don't know, Marcel, if you got to go down there, but it is really good right now. So um, check it out. You know, we we're just standing on it. it Felt—I was like, felt like it was a fairway or something. It was—it <laughs> was really nice. Yeah, well manicured, Dan. Yes, it is, it, and just. Uh, and you always had the sense that, as, it, as our questioner said, you know, it's Southern California. How could it not be good? You know, I mean, and they weren't, it was no longer were they having to support, you know, the Rams and the Raiders and the, and UCLA and, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. And so you would have thought, gosh, they got to be able to get this right if they just do it. And, uh, and they've done it and, and they've really gotten it right now. Okay, let's go to Melvin, Dan. He said, now that you've seen the spring, uh, the, you've seen spring practices and the spring game. What unit seems to be ready to start the season 
Uh, he says unit meaning, for example, receivers, quarterbacks, defensive lines, etc. Uh, and what unit still needs to improve a lot before the start of the season? That's Melvin. Well, I mean, I think you know if you figure the defensive uh, front, uh, and, and that's without Leonard Williams, his uh, is. is you know uh, the improvement, uh, you know of Claude Pilon uh, and and Antoine Woods' his leadership, and then having uh, Delvon Simmons uh, become eligible, and and with Leonard Williams just waiting in the wings, uh, that group just uh, I mean, are there any better you know uh, groups in the country? I'm not sure. Uh, the linebackers aren't you know far behind, depending on how you call you know Scott Starr and, and J.R. Tavai, but. Uh, uh, with Jabari Ruffin and uh, and um, Hayes Pillard and Anthony Sorrell and and behind them Michael Hutchings and and Lamar Dawson, uh, that front seven looks really you know really ready to go. Uh, I don't think there's any any question about it. Now uh, you bring back uh, uh, Sue Cravens and Josh Shaw, who really now is saying he's going to be a corner. You bring back Sue at safety, uh, both of whom missed Saturday, and uh, with Kevon Seymour. Big big step up that he's taken, and uh, and then see what happens with uh, you know with uh, Gerald Bowman also taking it. You know he he looks like he's really going to make the most of his redshirt senior year that he's going to get uh, as a safety. Then you get uh, you know Chris Hawkins on the other side, and then there's a whole bunch of of both rehabbing uh, you know veterans and uh, and newcomers that, uh, you know, you're going to look to plug in somewhere uh, at corner. And uh, so uh, you, you would basically say the defense all the way through, starting at front, up front, and then linebackers, and then the secondary. Uh, offensively, I think uh, they, uh, you know, the offensive line might be the place you'd say, without a doubt, he has to, he has to you know, have the most work, he has to have the – uh, the most continuity, uh, have to have the, you know, the most guys come back uh, healthy, uh, figure out where everybody's going to play. Uh, so they probably have the, the, you know, the farthest to go. Uh, I would think the quarterbacks are pretty close. Uh, the running backs, when healthy, are pretty close to, to where they have to be. Uh, and then you've got uh, tight end, I think, um, obviously, uh, you know, Jalen, Coach Fitzpatrick has had a great spring, and he uh, made you know every play that he had a chance to. He's he's got the ability to to you know run that run that seam route. He can catch the ball, uh, you know, dive and catch it. His hands just uh, have so uh, shown up, uh, you know, this spring. So uh, what happens there with Randall Telfer or, or the uh, freshman Bryce Dixon uh, will determine some you know some things on on you know at, at tight end and wide receiver, you really do have some openings, and we haven't seen who's going to step up behind Nelson Aguilar. I know they think Nelson is as good a wide receiver as anybody in the country has, that he's he's right there, that there's nobody any better than Nelson, and they make a good case for that. Uh, it's that next uh, couple of spots where, you know, you're waiting for people like Darius Rogers and, uh, and Victor Blackwell and uh, then coming back off surgery, uh, George Farmer and Stephen Mitchell, to show, uh, you know, what they can do and, and be the kind of real, you know, solid, dependable guys there. But, but I'd say tight end and wide receiver are both in that kind of state where they're waiting to see who, uh, who's healthy, who steps up, who gets the job done. And then I guess if you go to special teams, you've got some, you know, standouts in terms of um, Nelson as, as a punt returner, probably as good as anybody coming back in the country. And then you got Adore Jackson and uh, as uh, wherever uh, what they what they what they do with him. Uh, some of the question marks are guys coming back. Andre Hadari had four field goals the other day. In practice, his leg does look stronger. He does look like he's most of the way back. Um, still working some on accuracy. And then uh, Chris Alvarado, can he? Uh, you know, lengthen out. He's got. He's great on the wedge shot. Great, not knocking the ball in the end zone. But can he really, you know, drive the ball? You know, when when they've got a, an open field, and uh, we haven't really gotten to see that. He's certainly been working on it, but but we don't know the answer to that question. So, so uh, I'd say that's where you know defense were you know very solid. Uh, offense has some answers to come up with, and special teams uh, some you know very good prospects and some others that we we haven't gotten answers to yet 
All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. We got a uh, Jesse Rodriguez. He's wrote it a few times. Uh, retired uh, U.S. Army sergeant. Um, he said he had a few comments and a couple of questions for what he saw in the spring game. So I'll, I'll read it all for you, Dan, and um, you can, you know, get your comments afterwards. He said, one, looks like the defensive line is going to be as good as advertised. Two, our receivers and tight ends look pretty good catching the ball. Three, I wasn't really happy with the performance of the offensive line. Looked like the defensive front. Four, really had constant pressure all game. Was it because we don't uh, have everyone back, or is the defensive line that good? Four, last thing, I didn't get, I uh, didn't see much creativity on offense. Is it because the coaching? Is that because of the coaching staff did that intentionally? Thanks for your time. Love the show. Fight on. That's Jesse Rodriguez, retired U.S. Army sergeant. Uh, yeah, I, sergeant. I think you got most of those correct. Uh, it, it was clearly a matter of uh, of of decision as to the offense they ran. It, it could not have been more vanilla. I was. Uh, I was talking to Clay Helton after the game, and I said, I just got a call from Tuscaloosa. Uh, someone down there wants to know who the heck was calling the plays today. Uh, <laughs> Clay laughed uh, very heartily. Uh, yeah, they, they knew they weren't, they weren't going to do much of anything. Uh, uh, and the, uh, the defense knew as well. I mean, obviously, when they get to the goal line, uh, Hayes might as, might as well have been in the huddle. Uh, they don't have a huddle, but might as well have been in the huddle if they had one on that uh, on that play from the you know the one yard line, and uh, so yeah, I think they were happy to let the defense go, and they were happy not to get anybody injured on offense, and they didn't really want to push uh, push things. Uh, I mean, they couldn't have gotten Nelson Aguilar out of there any faster if uh, you know it was just, they, they weren't going to run anything that 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 uh, basically took any chances with anybody. Because if they're going to turn the defense loose a little bit, even if they didn't tackle all the way through, uh, you know, you had a chance uh, and, and of getting somebody dinged, and they just weren't going to take that chance. They really believe that they've gotten everything that they could have hoped to get out of spring ball in the first 13 practices. And uh, 14th, uh, they set up the summer. 15th, uh, you know, they were there, and they were supposed to, you know, play, and they tried to, you know, do some drills and have some fun with the marketing stuff and bringing, you know, people out of, out of the stands to catch and throw the ball and what have you. But, uh, but that was, I think, by absolute decision. So if you're the offensive line guys and they're running people that haven't run the ball all spring or they're running plays that, you know, the defense know is coming, you don't have much of a chance. Or if you're running uh, pass patterns and you don't have Nelson Aguilar out there, uh, you're, you know, that's not an easy situation if you're an offensive lineman. So I think the offensive lineman just had to kind of suck it up and, and, uh, and you, know, do it, you know, do it for the team, I guess. And they just work on, on their one-on-one stuff. And uh, some of those plays, I think, for example, if Nelson's in there, I mean, like the first play of the game, as Cody said, we did move the ball the first couple of times and, and, and move it, you know, fairly, fairly well. But when you take out, most of your options uh, at the top end, there's not. Then that doesn't leave you much. Uh, uh, you know, for the uh, the offensive line doesn't have much timing. I mean, really, uh, Ty is a kid run the ball in three weeks, and there he is. You know, your leading ball carrier. Uh, so the timing wasn't there, the plays weren't there, and they really weren't trying to you know to show you what they could do on offense. So uh, whether you uh, you know you agree with that or not. Uh, I think their thinking is we'll show up and show you what we can do, you know, starting August 30th, and then you'll see. All right. Let's see. Speaking of the offensive line you were talking about, James had a question. He said, uh, Tim Drevno was Harbaugh's offensive line coach at Stanford. I could be wrong, but as I understood it, they used to, they used an eight-man rotation on the offensive line, not just the same five guys all the time. USC seems to have a lot of good offensive linemen this year, considering that Sark is using this up-tempo no huddle offense, would it make sense to go to some kind of seven- or eight-man rotation on the offensive line just to make sure everyone is fresh and not worn down at the end of the game? That's from James. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it will be as soon as they get those uh, that next group uh, ready to go. It, it's going to be determined by, uh, you know, Andre Walker's availability and Jordan Simmons' availability and uh, uh, what shape a couple of the freshmen come in. Uh, but I think that's the goal. Uh, it certainly, it's what Drevno has said. Is you know, first of all, we want to find the five guys 
who can play, you know, every down if we have to. And then the next job is to find the next group that can play. And so they're they're definitely looking for a uh, a rotation on the offensive line, and uh, it would make a lot of sense uh, with you know with what they're going to do, the number of plays they're going to run, and all that. But uh, but right now they don't have those kinds of numbers, and they're still going to have to make absolute decisions on uh, on uh, where they're going to play. And uh, Max Turk, you know, does he remain at center and how do they work, uh, you know, what kind of a backup situation if, if he would get hurt, all that kind of thing. Uh, uh, they're not there yet. Uh, so the summer is really going to be important for the offensive line. I mean, no group for, for whom it's going to be more important than those guys. Uh, let's see. Rundy had a question. He says, I know that you're a huge supporter of Ed Ordron and Clancy Pendergast, but with the new coaching staff now in place, are you feeling more optimistic? I am. I love the I love the staff of the up up tempo offense. I think the Trojans will be really great this year. Do you concur? That's from Rundy. Well, I think the thing I liked the best, the thing that was was causing me pause, uh, was that if you brought in a new coaching staff, uh, there's more kind of instability of starting over, uh, and that would be one more time. You know, it's a team that had four coaches in three months, and, and they had really turned it around. Under Ed and uh, and with Clay and Clancy, the best thing that this staff has done, I think, without a doubt, is they realized, in effect, they were coming in to a team that probably should have won 12 games last year. And how often does that happen, where a new coaching staff gets to come in and take over a team that is basically returning a a 12-win team? Uh, I mean, really, they you know the Washington State Notre Dame game. I mean, we all know how those things went. So I think Sark understood that after meeting with the team, after seeing how, uh, what, kind of ta- what kind of talent he had, he adjusted. And he realized his job was to keep things going, keep things moving in the right direction, make uh, not great changes. For example, we heard coming in that, you know, this is going to be kind of a 4-3 defense. Well, now it's a 3-4, you know, this, they've gone – uh, to uh, the personnel that they had, the personnel that worked so well for Clancy most of the year. And, uh, you know, with some, you know, changes and with some changes on offense, but basically on offense, they're running the same plays. And I would have thought that had they kept the old staff, I think they would have probably ended up in the same place offensively. Now, Sark has the benefit of he's done the up-tempo for a year, but I think, uh, you know, they, it wasn't something you could change to in the middle of the season. And with the numbers they had last year, uh, that was a little more difficult to try to do. Uh, Sark's got more numbers. I think the other thing Sark has realized, and he's been telling people, he's got the best 44-man roster in the Pac-12, the best two deep. And uh, I think he does. And so uh, uh, I think the good thing that they have done is they haven't tried to reinvent the wheel. They haven't tried to say, you know, we're going to do it our way or this is the way, you know, we're going to change this or change that. Now they've done, I think, a more thorough job on the conditioning and the the strength program. They've uh, explained it more. They've spent more time with it, which is good with Ivan Lewis coming in new. And you tend to do that with with the new guy and, uh, you know, strength and, and, and conditioning, which is probably a good thing. Uh, but uh, but I think the ability to develop continuity and to pick up where this team left off has been the best thing that this staff has done. And uh, I give them all the credit in the world for understanding that and making those decisions. So uh, so I think uh, you know you, this team turned around after the first five games last year, and this is going to be kind of a continuation. And uh, an improvement. I mean, uh, going up tempo, I think, and going shotgun. I think uh, you know that was one of the big mistakes that Lane made was you know refusing to move the quarterback out from under center when he didn't have a pro caliber offensive line like Alabama or Stanford. Uh, and uh, so I think that would have happened. But uh, but I yes, I like the direction they're going on both sides of the ball. Uh, one last one for you, Dan, last topic. We kind of talked to the, with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde a bit, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it too. Uh, er, I'll, I'll give you Earl in West L.A.'s question about it. He said, can you provide more details about the NCAA's recent ruling to allow, quote-unquote, all student-athletes unlimited access to meals and snacks? Is this for 
the full school year or are there restrictions? This is long overdue. That's Earl in West LA. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, they used to control it in terms of in season, uh, in practice, on practice days, that kind of thing. I think that it's still that same rule, only it uh, takes away any limitations while the team is in, uh, while they're a team. Uh, it doesn't limit, for example, kids that are on a stipend or, uh, you know, take their meals off campus. It doesn't say you can't feed them. It doesn't say you can't feed them three meals and unlimited snacks. Uh, it doesn't say that walk-ons are no long, you know, are not allowed to be part of the training table. None of that. There are no restrictions, which is, which is great because USC, unfortunately for USC, was very strict about enforcing this uh, and uh, where kids would have to sign up to take food out, for example. And that wasn't happening at most every place in the country. But USC felt like, you know, there's a big, you know, spotlight on us and we better you know do what you know what the others maybe don't have to do and, and, and the other problem there was USC because of the cost of living in LA that kids spend more of their monthly stipend on their uh, on their apartment than they do in a you know Pullman Washington and while there is an adjustment cost of living between uh, Pullman and LA it doesn't reflect the reality of how much it costs to live in LA so USC kids had a tendency to run out of money at the end of the month for meals. And this changes all of that. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great thing. The NCAA got embarrassed, had to do it, especially after, you know, making all that money and all the glitz and glamour of the Final Four at, uh, you know, Jerry Jones World down in Dallas. And, and then uh, him and, you know, the point guard, Shabazz Napier, on the, you know, UConn championship team talking about going to bed hungry at night. And uh, while the NCAA, you know, obviously, you know, were dissembling when they said, oh, that didn't have anything to do with our uh, changing the rule when Mark Emmert said that. No, 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 we were going to do this all the time. And, yeah, it was really a dumb rule. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And yet it's the kind of rule he, he has been enforcing and, and to the detriment of schools they don't like uh, for years. And, you know, when did we hear them speak out about it? Uh, we didn't. So, uh, you know, I'm glad they were embarrassed into making the change. And obviously, uh, you know, with the people at Northwestern, considering the, you know, going uh, to a union, uh, that does impact the, you know, the powers that be at the NCAA to say, you know, maybe it's time to make a change. And yeah, it was time to make a change, but, but it really helps USC. Just tremendous, tremendous help for USC. Now it's up to USC to get the job done. We understand they're, you know, going <clears> to <throat> have a chef and uh, a big, you know, breakfast spread and, and hopefully do it right. Uh, and the, you know, the challenge is out there now for USC to, to really get this done. I mean, uh, uh, there are no excuses now. This is, uh, it's there for them. And uh, we'll see how, we'll see how this works, but, but, it, but it could really be a good thing for USC. I agree with you, Dan. It just seems like that's something that's been a disadvantage for a while. The walk-ons, we, you know, we've talked about that's a big deal. Then USC's relying on a lot of walk-ons right now because of the, the sanctions. So I think all around, it'd be hard to find another program in the country that's going to benefit more from this than USC. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there could be. In both ways, it's going to – or all three ways. You know, it's going to benefit the players that, you know, uh, are on the stipend. It's going to benefit the walk-ons. It's going to benefit uh, – you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, these kids have to eat better if you're preparing meals for them than they do when they're on their own. So, uh, you know, every way that it could possibly benefit USC, it's going to benefit USC. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show and sharing all your insights. Spring football is now over. So we'll look forward to these offseason workouts and everything else that's going on. Still a lot of questions, obviously, see if these guys get healthy. But a lot, a lot going on between now and fall camp. And just to take one more shot at, 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 at the obvious topic, uh, when you just said spring football is now over, unfortunately we probably could have said that Thursday after practice. <laughs> and it didn't completely realize it. But uh, it was pretty quick uh, observation by the time Saturday got started. That, uh, that, uh, and, and, and the one thing, I mean, you had to be impressed with the crowd, 
and the excitement and the and the, just the fact that you know people are really up you know upbeat about this USC football you know program right now, which is kind of neat. I mean they're they were excited and fired up, and that was there was a downside. Is that uh, you know what they got to see didn't exactly match their own enthusiasm for it, but uh, but they'll pick it back up if uh, you know if what could happen happens uh, starting in the fall. But uh, it was a great crowd. I agree with you 100. percent It's a big crowd out there, and biggest I've seen in years. So the fortunately wasn't the best product on the field, but you know Sark had to do what he had to do, and we'll go from there. We'll see what happens in the fall. But thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Talk to you all again next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.